welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 240, The Cow Manure Turkey with Preston Pittman. And I am your host and the guy who has the fishing DTs. I'll be on the lake soon. I just hope that is soon enough. So today we are 289 days, 11 hours, 26 minutes, and 37 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. Hey, I'm going to be quick today because I've got a pretty lengthy interview for you guys. So at the NWTF convention this year, Cameron and I were eating breakfast and game planning our day a little bit when he asked me if I'd ever read the book Bad Birds by Jim Spencer. So I told him no, and he told me a little bit about the book, and then he said, you know, you should do some interviews with some of the pros and have them tell you stories of some of the character turkeys that they've killed. Of course, since I love a turkey hunting story just as much as you guys do. I thought that was a pretty strong suggestion on his part. So today I have our first pro character turkey story for you guys from none other than Preston Pittman. So let's jump right into the interview with Preston and I'll see you guys on the other side. Hey everybody, I am glad to tell you that I have on the line with me today a regular to the show and I didn't want to say an old regular because I don't want him hanging up on me, but I've got a regular (laughs) on the show today and I'm going to twist his arm and this is difficult to get him to do this, but I'm going to twist his arm and get him to share a turkey story with us. But first of all, I'm going to say Preston Pittman, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to come on the show today and How's everything going in your world? Always my honor, always my pleasure, but I was about to think that you didn't love me quite as much as you used to, and the terminology that you should use with me is an old, forgetful fart, because you've got an old man that's doing a turkey podcast that went off and didn't get his turkey calls, and about halfway horse, but we will get through this, buddy. We'll get through this. Well, I happen to have a little bit of experience in listening to you do some natural voice calling, so I'm pretty sure you can make something up as we go along. Well, the voice is strained a little bit right now, but we will try. How's that? That's fair enough, and 
I don't think anybody listening to this is thinking about judging you for the Grand Nationals or the or the World Championship of Natural Voice Calling. So I think you'll be all right. <laughs> well, we're, I think today we're going to talk about killing a turkey, not calling a turkey. You're right. You're right. You're exactly right. So when I talked to you last, which was one day last week, you'd mentioned to me that you were going on a crappie fishing trip this weekend. How did that go? Yes, I did. Me and the, the country singer Andy Griggs, and I never can say the name of the lake right, but Eden, Eden, Eden Lake, hmm. you know, the Sardis, Grenada, and Eden. The bite was slow, and we fished for about four hours, and we ended up catching 11 keepers. All of them were in that old 13, 13 and a half, 14 inch train. So we fed a bunch of people last night and had a darn good time. There you go. I was pretty, pretty, pretty impressed with Jeremy, the boy that we went with. He worked hard and he was on the phone and talking to a bunch of folks. And I don't believe there was hardly anybody on that lake uh, that was catching many fish. And we still ended up putting a, a mess of fish in a boat because of the, as he calls himself, the real deal guide service. So I'm sorry, but I had to give him a little plug. No, that's all good. That is all good. No issues with that. Well, I'm glad you had a good time. I will be back again. I can promise you that. You know, I can sit down and enjoy a good ball game, especially football, and then comes baseball, unless the turkeys are gobbling, the deer are in rut, and the fish are biting. Then, I'm sorry, the TV's going off and I'm grabbing a gun or a fishing pole. And I am the self-proclaimed founder of the Catch and Fry Club. We do release fish, but only in Lake Crisco, especially crappie. Got you. I hear hear that lake's kind of hot. Uh, let me tell you what, those three lakes, he did make a phone call over to Sardis yesterday, and the bite was on at Sardis yesterday, but they had been having a tournament up on Grenada. I think it's the Mississippi Crappie Fishermen's Association, something like that. They had a big tournament up on Grenada, and I think they struggled a little bit on Grenada. I know he got in the money. I don't know where he exactly placed that, but he had... 21, 20 or 21 fish. And I think the average weight was in the two-pound class. Now, folks, let me tell you something. You can hold a crappie up and look and say, that's a two-pound fish, and then you put it on the scale, and all of a sudden he shrinks down to about maybe a pound to a pound and a quarter. A two-pound crappie is a huge crappie because these that we were catching yesterday were in that one-pound class. Very fine crappie and very good-eating fish. On all three of those lakes, it is your fish has to be over 12 inches. I can promise you it's 12 and a quarter. I am going to keep it. I can promise you that. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. I like to eat them too. Amen. Yeah, no doubt. Well, very good. Well, I'm glad you're able to get out and enjoy yourself. And I know you have been working hard ever since turkey season ended for you which I guess you and I have spoken, what, twice? This is the third time now since turkey season ended. And yeah. I got a little summary of your turkey season, but no one listening to the show has heard how your turkey season went. So give us a little summary of your turkey season. 
Well, here here's the way it is. If you remember, I had back surgery. Then I had I had an automobile accident, and then I fell down some steps. Mm-hmm. So let's just say there's not a lot of spring in my step. So I hunted. It's actually in the woods. Fewer days this year than I probably have ever been in the turkey woods and had one of the better seasons per day in the woods. And I want everybody to think that that, that I can go kill a turkey or the person with me can kill a turkey every time that we go because we don't and we can't. We have the same troubles and the same problems as anybody else does. But right. 27 days in the woods, I saw 27 birds die. I had six misses, and I had four or five should have shot anywhere from 12 steps to 40 yards. But now how I got that average was a couple of days in Kansas had triples. A couple of days in Mississippi had doubles. I had a triple in Tennessee and had a double in Tennessee. So it made up for the days that that me or the person with me didn't kill. Right. But the year actually started a little slow. The bubble, when it opened up and happened, I think I could have stood on the hood of my truck and killed a bird. The man upstairs blessed me and put me in the right place at the right time every time. And it's been a long time since that happened. <laughs> well, <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, how's that song go? I want some more of it. That's right. Yeah. I like I want, it. I love it. I want some more, I want some more of, of that. Uh-huh. Don't yeah, have. I love it. I want some more of it. Keep it coming is all I can say. It was no a great doubt. year for me. Yeah, those those tough years are, are tough. And then when you have a year like that, it sure makes up for it and makes you smile and you know reminds you of why we get out there and do that. So, cause there's Amen. A lot of those tough years when a lot of days in a row go by where I wonder, why I'm doing this. I could, I should take up quilting or cross-stitching, maybe origami. I mean, anything. But Well, what I, what I normally think on those days like that is I'm going to go find some of my old trophies, my old world championship, national and grand national trophies, and I'm going to put them all over the truck and drive up in the woods and go, you stupid son of a gun, look who's trying to call you. <laughs> I mean, give me a little bit of respect. The last time I tried that, I got, I, I think I got three in three days because they uh, they choked on their own water laughing so hard. Uh-huh, that's right. That's right. You just had to walk through the woods and pick up carcasses. <laughs> yeah, I wish. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh, man. Man, I, I'm glad you had a great year. I know the past couple of years have been tough on you, and, and a lot of that is, you know, the health issues that you had and i know your health is good but just medical stuff with your back and so on and so forth so i'm i'm glad that this year turned out to be a hot year for you kind of like a bad habit i keep coming back there you go you ain't gonna get me down i'm 65 years old and as long as i can go be drug pushed carried in an electric buggy digging a hole whatever i'm gonna be out there i'm going i love it too much yeah, I know everybody listening to this show can definitely relate to that statement. So, yeah, Amy. Well, I wanted to get you on the show today. Well, first of all, because you're right, I, it's been a while since you've been on, and I don't want you thinking that I don't love you. So I want to get you on for that reason. But also, I've gotten this idea from Cameron, who 
is my former intern, but still helps me out at the NWTF convention in Nashville and helps me do some things from time to time. And so he told me, he said, you know what you should do just for an idea for some show topics is get some of these guys on the show like Preston and maybe Harold Knight or whoever else and just let them share a story about a character turkey. And what he means by a character turkey is that turkey that sticks out in your mind that, you know, we either name that turkey before we kill him or we name that turkey after we kill him, which I don't like to name them beforehand because to me that humanizes them too much. I like I like to never forget that they're a wild turkey. And so, you know, if I name one Joe or something like that, I'm, I'm bringing him up to the same level that I am. And we all know that turkey's better than me. So <laughs> I, I wanted to get you on today and just chat with you a little bit and get you to think back and share a story about a character turkey with us. How long have I got? <laughs> uh, you got quite okay. a while. <laughs> okay. I'm going to give you the shorter version. And unlike you, most of the time, I name those birds before I kill them. And some of the names, and I know the listeners can relate to this and don't take me as a bad person on this, some of the names I can't tell you over the airwaves. Right. But this one I can. And I'll tell you what his name was. His name, but he did not earn his name until the day that I killed him. And he was called the cow manure bird which will be, if I ever get it written, will be one of the chapters in my book in more detail. Awesome. So you want me to get right into it? I'd love it. Okay, and this listens with this too. One, back in the old days, I was born and raised in Hansburg, Mississippi. I learned how to turkey hunt down in what we always called Camp Shelby, which is DeSoto National Forest, and down in Red Creek Game Reserve, in management area down around Van Cleve, Mississippi. Did most of my hunting from Highway 98 south and from basically where 49 and 98 cross east. So there's a tremendous block of woods that used to be in there Mm -hmm. that was full of turkeys and probably one of the last holdouts of the turkeys in the state of Mississippi besides the Delta. So I just want to give you a little foundation first. Okay. Several years later, Lamar County opened up, which is out towards the Olo, Summerall, just west of Hattiesburg. So now what was happening was turkey hunting was starting to get very popular. So, of course, the forest was getting slammed by eons and eons of people. And all of a sudden, we have another county open up that is either paper timber company land or private land. So at, during those years, I'm trying to remember dates. It's hard for me to remember. Late 80s, 90s, somewhere in through there. Mm-hmm. That was turning into the holy grail as far as a, getting a spot to go turkey hunting. So I had an old buddy, and I'm going to name him too. I had an old buddy by the name of Edwin Lamb from New Augusta, Mississippi. He was just about as big, maybe even a little bigger redneck than I am great friend though i could call him right now and say i'm in trouble and he'd come help me and drive four hours to get to me called me but he was a turkey hunter you see he still had to lay some foundation work you don't ever trust another turkey hunter (laughs) 
You think a fisherman will lie, a turkey hunter will lie twice as bad. Uh, so when you get somebody like me, you ask me where the turkey's at, you ain't going to get the answer you want. Not when it's my birds. Right. Not when it's birds that I'm hunting. Now, that's the way we were brought up. Things have changed a lot now. People share a lot more. People share information a lot more. And that's wonderful, and that's great. Well, I ain't going to lie to you. I'm a few days that I get to go myself. I kind of have a tendency to shut my mouth up and not volunteer anything. Uh-huh. But, oh, Edwin called me. He knew that I was hunting down there. He had worked offshore. And he called me up, and he says, Preston. I said, yeah, Edwin, what's up? He says, I got to go offshore. He says, I'm going to miss about the last 15, 16 days, third season. And he says, I got a bird out there in Lamar County. When he said Lamar County, my ears kind of picked up. And I said, yeah. He said, yes, private land. I said, really? He said, but now you're going to have to get permission. He said, I, I don't, I don't talk to Mr. Jones. He said, you can go down there and go hunt if you just give him a buzz. Well, that, that should have been, he's a turkey hunter. Even though he's only got, you know, a little over two weeks left of season, he's going to be gone all short. You just don't trust him. Okay. You have to kind of lay this, all this foundation down. But I did, and I called Mr. Jones. I said, Mr. Jones, this is Preston Pittman. He says, fine, come on out. And let me look at you and meet you. Who's are you only people out here? I said, yes, yeah, so Uncle Lewis, Lewis Bond. Oh, I know Lewis Bond. Yeah, he's a good fellow. Come on out here and meet me. I'll show you my place. Drove out there, walked up, knocked on the door. Man come out there, and he says, uh, I called you, Uncle. I said, yes, sir. And he said, you're good. You're good to go. I said, awesome. Great. Thank you. I said, I'll close your gates. I'm going to climb over your fences. I'll go under them and through them, you know, because I'm he had cattle back there behind his house. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, I'll treat you like, man, like, like mine. He said, that's good. He said, that's what I want to hear. I said, well, can you kind of tell me about your, you know, your, your boundaries? You know, where, where? And he said, walks out in the yard, so let me show you something, boy. And he took his hands, and as you can imagine, he waved them in front of him. And he goes, all this is mine. <laughs> Andy, I'm looking at about a 60-acre cow pasture, got a few cattle in it. I'm looking up to the left, and there's pine trees, and it kind of comes down to pine tree hardwood forest, kind of goes on down into a little bottom, a little creek running through there, nothing but hardwood. And I went, good God, Edwin, boy, you have screwed up, man. This is gorgeous, you know, here. Yeah. Perfect, you know, building everything. And I said, you know, Mr. John, this, this, this is beautiful. I said, God, man, what about that ridge right up here under where them No, 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 no. You can't go up there. I said, sir, he said, I was, yeah, I know I did, but uh, you, you can't go up there. He said, hey, you can't go even, you can't, you can't even touch that barbed wire fence up there. I said, sir? He says, yeah, it's one of them rich doctors that own that up yonder. He says, he's got them surveillance cameras. And that's back before we had the cameras that we got now. He's one of them rich dudes. If you sit up against a tree, in fact, he's got me in court right now. He's fixing to sue me because he says my fence is two and a quarter inches over on his land. Oh my God! Okay, fine. You know, I said, well, that bottom. I said, man, I'm gonna tell the truth to you. I said that bottom down there. I said that's awful pretty with that creek. Ought to be a turkey. No, 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 no. You can't go down there neither. And I said, sir, well, you know, that's all the woods that there is. I'm thinking to myself. I said, sir, he said, all this is yours. He said, yeah, but that ain't down yonder. He said, that feller so-and-so, I'm not going to say a name. That feller so-and-so's land. He said, you go down there, you love to get a, a load of buckshot in your rear end. He's got a steel head down yonder. And I went, Evan Lamb, I'm going to kill you. 
I'm looking at a 60-acre cow pasture that's got cows in it with one little fence row coming through it with one little briar patch that you can get in. Uh-huh. And I'm going, uh-huh. he has set me up again. <laughs> it wasn't the first time. But I'm there. You know what I mean? I'm there. So, okay, I'm going to walk around and look. I go through the men's gate, close gate, walk down there, and boy, the first thing I found out in the middle of the pasture is a big old copper track and a cow pile. And I said, well, you know what? I'm going to waste the morning. I'm going to come back tomorrow morning. I'm going to hunt this. So I come back the next morning, and he's my door open, walk down there to his gate. I said, my God, there is something here. Of course, now I'm panicking because I ain't really looked as hard as I should have, but I remembered that one little briar patch. So I boogied down to that briar patch for it started breaking and showing up daylight, daylight. And as I crawled through the fence, it looked like 150 people had had a party in that briar patch. There wasn't a blade of grass standing once you got up underneath. It had been set on and worn down so much by the 16 people, Edwin Lamb, and now me on this one turkey. Oh, gosh. But I said, I'm him. He gobbled. I did one little tree call. He cut me off. I said, hmm, it's about fly down time. And that was back in my show enough calling, calling days. Mm -hmm. So I did the most perfect fly down cackle. Boy, here come a B-52 bomber down through that pasture. It lit out there about 75 yards from me. Man, I done put my gun on my double, on my knee. I done knocked the thing, safety off. I'm ready for him. I give him three little pretty soft. Yep, 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 yep. I said, you did. <laughs> Ain't no doubt in my mind. And here he comes. I mean, he's just a waddling back and forth. That beard's a swinging back and forth like he's sweeping the grass or the leaves off the pasture in front of him. He got out there about 60 yards, and he stopped dead still. He went to complete attention. Every feather on his body was slicked down. He double-stacked his wings, turned around, gone. Hmm. Now, Andy, remember, I ain't got the 60 acres to hunt. Yeah. And it's a cow pasture. So that hunt's over with. Second morning, I'm going to cut the story a little bit short, okay? Second morning, I ain't going to say nothing to him when he's on the roof because I ain't heard a hen. Okay. Right. I get there 30 minutes early. I go to my briar patch, dewberries. I get up in it. He gobbles. Boy, I wanted to call to him. I didn't. He get out in the pasture. About the same place, about 70, 75 yards. Mm-hmm. I went, one little cluck to him. Boy, he stopped, looked at me, went in a half strut, gobbled very slowly. Here he comes. I said, I ain't going to say another word to him. He knows that there's a hen on the other side of this briar patch, about 60 yards, the same thing as the morning before. Went to complete attention, periscoped that neck up, double stacked, blue-eyed field. Good God, what am I doing wrong? Didn't wear glasses in. Didn't have nothing shiny. Yeah. Third morning, I go, okay, what am I going to do now? So I break out a box call. Same thing. Fourth morning, I break out a slate call. Same thing. Fifth morning. I tell you what, I got so desperate fifth morning, I went and bought a Primo's turkey call. That didn't work either. <laughs> I have a lot of respect for Mr. Will Primo's and what he's done for my home state here in Mississippi. Nothing but 
but but but respect for the man. Oh, yeah. I just had to pick on somebody, so I pick on him. <laughs> Sixth morning, same thing. Seventh morning, same thing. Eighth morning, same thing. Didn't matter what I did. I tried clucking and purring and do witting. I tried cackling. I tried everything you can think of. Well, name's under my skin. Oh yeah. And the name I had in name then, I cannot repeat through the airways. Uh-huh. But it wasn't nice. So the ninth morning, I pull up, I opened up my door in the dome light, and my $225 Chevrolet pick-em-up truck worked that morning. And as I opened the door, obviously during the night, some of his cattle had gotten out. And have you ever seen a cow that's been eating a lot of uh, rye grass whenever they poop? It ain't no pile. It's a stream of green slime, and it was right there at my door. Mm-hmm. And the light went off in my head. I said, you are going to die this morning. As I bent over and picked that good, smelly, runny, drippy cow crap, and I smeared it all over my body. Mm. And I went to my little patch, and I yipped to him on the roof, three little yips. He cut me off. He hit the field. I turned my head behind the little briar patch. I yelled three more, and at 18 steps, I took his head off. And no, you know as well, no, maybe the listeners don't know, they cannot and do not smell like a white-tailed deer. Now, have you ever heard this story from me before, yes or no? No. Andy, why did the cow crap kill the turkey? I do not know. Mm. You know, this is the one thing that I try to teach people in my classes, and if I ever do get my book written, all of these stories of these particular birds all have very important lessons. And the one thing I try to teach people is to pay attention as to what is going on around them at all times, because all of Mother Nature is talking to you, teaching you, and showing you things if you'll open up your eyes and open up your mind. What happens whenever you get into a pasture that has cattle in it and you start yelping and or either put a decoy out? What are the cows going to do? They're coming to They're going to come to you. That is correct. And every time me and the other guys who had hunted this bird, what those cattle were doing or some of the cattle were doing is when they heard the yelp, they came over and investigated the yelp. Uh And what did they smell? They smelled a strange human being in the one little thicket that they couldn't get to. Uh And when they smelled the strange human being, they would turn around and run back out into the pasture. The bird had number sixes, number fives, and a twenty-two short in him. (laughs) The bird had learned to watch the cattle, and if I watch the cattle, they'll tell me, if that is a real McCoy or if there's a booger bear over there in that bush. Pay attention to everything that's going on around you. Sometimes you never know what can help you harvest that bird. Yeah. That's my favorite story. I love it. That That's pretty amazing, and but it makes perfectly good sense because I know the majority of us have had a turkey hunt ruined by cows if we yep. hunt in an area that has cows in it. Or... I've even had one ruined by horses in Texas. Yep. Well, almost ruined. We ended up killing the turkey that day. 
but it was it was probably the most hilarious turkey hunt that I've ever been on. But yeah, that's that's interesting. And so the cows are always seem to always be an issue when you're hunting cow pastures because if you put out decoys, they're coming to the decoy. They're coming to the decoy, and ninety percent of the time they're going to lick it. Yes, they'll knock them over. Or they'll <laughs> they'll do whatever. Yeah, or they'll yep. ease up to the decoy and then turn around and run off, and then they'll ease yep, up and come back and turn around and run off. Yeah, yeah, yep. and, and so yeah, they do the same thing with calling. You know, they're they're very inquisitive, so that makes perfectly good sense. So you you never when you were hunting and in that briar patch, and and I know when a turkey hits the ground out in the field, all your attention's on that turkey, and if. I would imagine you're just like I am to a certain extent. We pretty well have blinders on, but, you know, we do pick up things in the periphery, but we don't pay it a whole lot of attention most of the time. But you didn't happen to notice the cows coming up or hear them coming up to the briar thicket or anything like that. What? It it, it was like that subliminal thing, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And, And I was so much younger then, I didn't study stuff the way I study it now. But whenever... Whenever my light hit that cow crap in the guy's yard, mm-hmm. it's like, you dummy, you've been seeing this every day and you hadn't seen it. It hadn't dawned on you what's going on. Put this cow crap on you, and when the cows come up and smell, they're going to smell cow crap. They ain't going to smell a human being. And it worked. Yeah. But, yeah, that we, we all get what they call the tunnel vision. And I guess that's what I'm, I'm I'm saying right now is, is if I can get people out of the tunnel vision, not only with their eyes, but especially with their ears, you know, I've talked about this in the past before, then all of a sudden a whole new world opens up to you. Now you hear that the blue jay just starts fussing over behind the big blowdown and the turkey hadn't said anything for 10 minutes. Well, now my focus of attention is on the blue jay mm-hmm. because there's a possibility that the blue jay is fussing at the turkey that's in full strut over there behind uh, the blowdown. Not that it will be all the time. That's not what I'm telling people. Right. But it's a darn good indicator. You know, now's the time turkeys aren't gobbling. And uh, all of a sudden I hear crows sounding off. It always goes back to the basics, knowing your territory, knowing your terrain. And I remember there's an old house place with a logging road, you know, 400 yards up there on top of that ridge, which is where the crow's at. There's a good possibility there's a turkey strutting up and down that old road or is out in that old house place yard strutting. I didn't hear him gobble, but the crow told me. So it's those sort of things that I really, I guess what you say, I'm trying to pass on to other people is to pay attention to any and everything that's going on around you not only with your eyes but also with your ears and i promise you i promise you you will harvest more birds and you will all of a sudden start hearing things and seeing things that will make you appreciate the sport that much more have you ever sit and watched a spider build a web yeah especially when the dew is on it and he's going back and repairing it and then all of a sudden the sun comes through and hits a drop of that dew or a dozen drops of it and it turns into prisms those are the sort of thing not just killing the bird but those are the sort of things that i wish a lot of these 
I just got to say it. Younger people would appreciate more. Yeah, we want to harvest a bird. Sure we do. I like getting my rear end bloody with his head dangling on top of it. I sure do. But more importantly, I want to see all of God's greatest creation. That's everything out there. And every, every little piece, part, component. If you want to screw me up worse than anything else, if I start finding chips of, of arrowheads, dead gum, I can't stand it. I'm going to want to start going arrowhead hunting. Yeah. I got to go get him killed real quick and get back, or I'll wait to another day. Those that's turkey hunting to me. Go to Missouri, you know where you got can only hunt for half a day. Hey, spend the other half a day having a good time finding morel mushrooms mm-hmm. and look at all the things that you'll see inside. All right, I'm I'm off my bandwagon. I'll quit preaching. Okay, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't have to quit preaching. I think that it's a valuable lesson, and you know, for me, I think that I kind of reached that point in my turkey hunting i would say probably 10 or 12 years ago so that would have put me around 10 or 12 years into turkey hunting when i i got to that point where i'd killed several birds and there was more to it than just the numbers at the end of the season yeah yes so yes very much so may i ask how many years you've been turkey hunting you know i've never asked you that question I started turkey hunting, well, I went the very first time in 1990, the spring of 90. So I didn't actually really turkey hunt, though, or get into it seriously until about 95 or 96. So you got a good 15 years in plus. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm See, 20. You're, 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 you're about dead on. You know, you're, it takes about 10 years before you go, hey, there's more out here. But for the first 10 years, you're right. Most people, all they're, they're, they're worried and concerned about is killing. And now, dead coming, i got to say, with a younger group, listening to the podcast, going to the Internet, trying to find the quick way uh, or what I call the McDonald's way. Mm-hmm. That's one, one thing I do like and respect about you is that you're trying to give good, solid information to people out there. There's a lot of people that are doing quickies. Or either they're all up north, nothing against the north, but still, Alabama, Mississippi, two hardest states they are in the world to kill a turkey. But it's simply because we've had the longest consecutive running seasons, and they've been educated more. And as you go north, they get, Georgia's starting to be real tough now. I mean, not picking on any state. But the further you go north, it's just simply because the seasons haven't lasted as long and the birds haven't been pressured as much. And if you haven't hunted, you ain't hunting down here where I hunt at, you ain't no turkey hunter to me. I'm sorry. Come on down to my part of the country. Go down into Camp Shelby, the home of the National Forest. What some of the national forests in Alabama. Go to some of those kill turkey. Bubba, you can go do that, you turkey hunter. It's a different level. So... You know, I'm now at 34 states into my super slam and trying to kill a turkey in all 49 states that have turkeys. And it took me six, I believe it was six trips to Mississippi to kill. (laughs) And, you know, I hunted, because I live here, obviously, I hunted Alabama a great deal of the season. And it's... The, those two states are just on a different level. And I, I would even expand it a little bit and throw Arkansas in there as well just because of the population 
declines that they've had, they don't have quite the numbers that I think we have in Alabama and Mississippi, but that's all. I, I got a question for you. Just I got a question. Time. It's going to draw an analogy here. Right. You just went to Maine, didn't you? Yes. How hard was that bird to kill? It uh, Not. Okay. It, it was not hard. The further north you go. So, yeah, Arkansas is in there. Georgia's in there. I mean, there's a lot of states that are in there. It's got tough turkeys. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to oh, yeah, belittle any other state. Tough turkeys. But as you ease north, with the exception of New York and PA on public ground, yeah. especially PA. PA is hammered. Right. And it's tough. I can tell you that. Yeah. I've hunted it. But all those other states, it's just as you ease a little north, they get a little bit easier. But they haven't had the, the lengthy seasons. It's like, like what we've seen. You're right. Mississippi, Alabama is a whole different world, whole different category. Yeah. Look, I hunted Arkansas for two days this year. I was on private ground that supposedly had a bunch of birds. I heard one bird gobble off turf, and I left Arkansas not killing a bird. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you, as the old cliche goes, got to have birds to kill them. That's exactly right. And when they ain't there, they ain't there. And when they're not heavily populated, that 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 margin of success comes way down even more and more. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, I, I asked the question at the NWTF convention. This has now been about three years ago of, of the pros that were there, and I asked you two uh, that year this question. But when I asked it of Cuz Strickland, he gave the answer that, to me, kind of, I guess, when I look back at me and my turkey hunting progression over the years, really kind of summed it up. So my question was, what was one thing that you learned when you were going from that, really kind of that intermediate level of turkey hunter to being a, a, a turkey hunter that consistently kills turkey? What is that one thing that made that, that shift for you to the next level and he said i hunted better ground with more turkeys on it and so i thought that makes perfectly good sense because you're not going to kill turkeys in a place that has no turkeys well even though it might have because again i watched the, the national forest go through a complete change i watched it go from no turkeys are very few turkeys, a bunch of turkeys, hardly any turkey hunters, still a good number of birds, a bunch of turkey hunters, and I watched the change in their attitude in the way that they responded. Oh, I went through the cut-and-run days. I went through the hang my head out the window. If he was more than 300 yards from the truck, I wouldn't even get out mm-hmm. to, to, I heard a bird gobble. I went from, from that to the clucking and purring to the soft calling to the scratching in the leaves to getting on a bicycle to hunting during the off periods and off times of the day when nobody else, you know, was out there hunting. And it wasn't that. I, they taught me. I guess that's what I'm trying to get, get across. They taught me how to hunt with what I had to hunt. You know, let, let, me, go, let me go to Kansas. I'm even watching those birds because I've hunted the same place six or seven years now. And I'm even watching those birds get a little bit sharper now, a little bit sharper now. Yeah. But let me go to Kansas. I promise you, I ain't leaving Kansas without killing a bird. 
and it's probably going to be on the first day. If it ain't by the second day, he's going to be dead. Right. I, I'll, 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 I'll take a wager on that. Won't do it in Mississippi. Won't do it in Alabama. Well, I'll make a wager on that. I watched places in Texas where I went to and uh, had a 12-year-old kid kill a bird while Hank Sr. was playing on the radio and the diesel suburban door was open and there's a tear in my beers going on and I'm standing by the door going, she's the one on the right, he's got the longest bird. I watched those birds. You got two stories out of it. <laughs> I watched those birds go from complete idiots that had, I was the first person to ever blow a turkey call at them. The first person. Hmm. Oh my goodness. That was, that's the one time I can say I didn't go hunting. I only killing. Yeah. I was begging anybody that could shoot a shotgun to go with me and go hunting. Anybody, everybody, the farm and the granddaddy, the young and down the road. Hey, you know somebody else? I mean, it. it, it I educated them. Yeah. In three days, 47, mom didn't live to get educated again. Wow. It was all day long, every day, but they were stupid. And there were literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of birds on a roost. It would be as far as the ear could hear both ways. Turkey's gobbling. I'm sure, you know, some of the TV shows, they've showed some of this. I don't even watch that stuff anymore. But they showed some of that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? It was yeah. just ridiculous back then. And those birds, every year, a little bit smarter. Every year, a little bit smarter. A little bit smarter. A little bit sharper. A little bit sharper. Yeah. Yes, they can pass traits down. And they do. Absolutely, they do. I have zero doubt about that. Well, let me ask you this, and this may be a, a topic you don't want to comment on, even though I don't think I've ever found one for you that you don't want to comment on. <laughs> what do you What do you think the future of turkey hunting holds? Because in my opinion, and I believe it is due in large part to television and social media, I believe we have more turkey hunters today than we've ever had, and... I believe we've got fewer turkeys than we've had in the past 20-some-odd years in most states and in most areas in most states. Do you think that some of the turkey hunters who are out there who are just getting started or not having any success while they're out are going to quit and that this thing is going to cycle again to where there's not as many hunters? First, I agree with everything you said, and those that quit or quitters anyway and really don't fall in love with the sport itself so no i don't but i do have something i would definitely like to say back in the old days remember i'm 65 let's just say i did some things that i shouldn't have done and kicked myself in the rear end for doing is that good enough for me to say it and leave that part of the alone after sure. that yes with that being said I see the, even though I pick on the younger kids and even though I pick on the TV and I pick on the internet, the social media, I see such a wealth of information that is out there that will pique the curiosity of someone thinking that they might want to get into turkey hunting. So I don't think it will 
quote die from the fact of not being as many birds, and the reason for that is this. I also, and this makes my soul so very happy, I see so many of the younger ones so conservation-minded that where I had to grow up, and now if I knew that I only had one little bunch of birds, I would do everything I could do to protect, save, multiply, whatever it took, I would do that so that one day in the future I could be able to hunt them again. So I'm seeing a whole new breed of younger hunters that are getting into it that care more about the animal itself. Mm -hmm. And I have to mention NWTF. I think a lot of that is from that. I think a lot of it is from the social media. I think a lot of it is from people like yourself and doing what you do. And I applaud all of, all of that. I really do. I remember I'm the old fart. In fact, I've already told you the name of the book, if I ever get it written. It's called The New Breed is what the name of the book will be. And no, it's not written or even started yet. So I don't want to start getting a bunch of people asking me about it. Yeah. But what they can do, and I'm going to give you a plug now. I hope you've got it up and running and everything right. They need to go, somebody who is truly, truly interested, because you and I spent, what, a day or a day and a half, and I know you've done some stuff with some other guys, yeah. and you're calling it your turkey school. There is a wealth of information that is there, and the nominal fee that you charge for that is well worth it. Yeah. And we get down and dirty. I mean, I, I remember some of the stuff we went over. So information is out there. People are are people and and more conservation minded than they used to be. You know, say in the old days. Well, that's a long answer for a very short question, wasn't it? I don't think it'll die. I don't think it'll cycle. I do hope though that our birds cycle again. I am proud to say that we had a good hatch year before last, and last year we had a very good hatch, and we're just going to have to see this year. Yeah. If there are any biologists that are out there listening, if there are any guys from the NWTF, I am on my own little bandwagon. Andy Galliano is not endorsing what I'm fixing to say, but I'm going to say it. He messed up and put me on the airways. I think there are places now in certain states that restocking needs to be looked at again. I know that Mississippi in certain counties is hurting pretty bad right now. I believe that a lot of that came from Katrina. Right. I know that we now, you mandatorily have to check your bird in in the state of Mississippi. And as soon as data is gathered, and that was the main reason, and I was definitely on the bandwagon for that, and I'm very proud of the commissioners, uh, legislators, everybody involved for getting that done, but I also believe it can be a very, very helpful tool, and I might get cussed out for this, but I don't care, I'm going to say it. It might be that Forest County needs to reduce their limit to one instead of three birds that we have statewide. And a little bit of restocking can go on in there. It might be that areas of the county might need to be shut down and restocking needs to go on. 
I'm not the biologist, but I do believe they are areas that some type, whether it be restocking, whether it be reducing the limit, whether it be shortening the season, whether it be shortening the day, I think there are areas in my own home state, uh, up here where I'm at around the West Point area, and even at home, uh, this is where I work at, even at home in Madison County, no, we don't need it. But I think South Mississippi does. And I'm sure there's other states that Arkansas, look at Arkansas. I mean, their population is way down. Mm -hmm. They might need to look at some doing some of those things. They might have already done it. I don't know. I don't study all the laws and stuff like I should. But that that's the reason why I was really so happy to see the mandatory check go into place. Because now we can know, what are we really killing? Right. What are your best counties? Look at Missouri. Look at the success story of Missouri. And they've always had checking. You know what I mean? And tagging, you know, on their birds. Right. I think it's a wonderful too. I really do. All right, I'll shut up. No. I'll quit. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. And, you know, I've got a very good friend who is a very good turkey hunter. Has killed a bunch of turkeys. Used to guide for an outfitter here in Alabama and over in West Alabama. And he basically has quit turkey hunting in Alabama because he says it's not fun. Now, I disagree with him on that statement because, to me, just being in the woods is fun. Being in the I agree. Woods and seeing, I agree. seeing the woods come back to life after winter, seeing everything bloom, seeing all the critters come out, seeing the, just the Tweety birds being interested in other Tweety birds and chasing each other around and things sure. like that. So, uh, you're, you're like me. That's what I'm preaching. Yeah. So I'm, I, I see it differently than he does, but— he says, I'm just not going to hunt in Alabama. He went one time this entire season in Alabama, and he said the turkeys don't gobble, and they don't gobble because the season's too long and the bag limit is too high. And I don't disagree with those two statements that he made. Somewhere there's that okay, trade-off get, of— Okay, but get, guess what he's doing, though? He, he's you remember made, what I was talking about? That's right. Yeah. He, at yeah. least, is no longer taking the quota that he used to take— which is actually helping the population is what it's doing. Right. Might not be his right. his meaning behind it. And then you ask me the question about it dying a cycle. Let me tell you what, turkey hunters gonna find a turkey to hunt somewhere. <laughs> That's true. There's proof positive right there. So I, I agree that you don't agree with him because I'm gonna enjoy everything that's out there. But also too, he's actually helping you in the state of Alabama by getting the snot out of there and not killing his five quota. But he also, and see, he's conservation minded. He's got to be right because he don't want to go kill those five birds. He's five birds in Alabama, right? That's correct. Okay. He don't want to kill those five birds because he'd like to see it. Whether he, whether he told you or not, he'd like to see it go back to the glory days again. Oh, there's no, so by him stepping out. Yeah. yeah. And by him stepping out, Hey, maybe that's five birds that won't be killed. Well, uh, you see, I'll pull a positive out of a negative anytime I can. Oh yeah, no doubt. But yeah, there are changes that I think need to be made. And you know, one of the things that drives me crazy about Alabama, and I can say the same thing about Mississippi, is that we do not require people to buy a turkey permit, turkey hunting permit. So when I say to buy one, it could be as easy Perfect. as being zero dollars you just have to get one so the state knows how many turkey hunters we have i agree with that 
So how can you manage something when you don't know how many people are using it? Well, we know how many people are using it. What's that? You want me to get real political with you now? Oh, I'm fixing it in trouble on this. I shouldn't say what I'm fixing to say, but I'm going to say it. The whole problem with most is it is not your Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. It is not your Game and Fish Commission. Bingo. It goes back. It goes back to the legislators who don't know their anyway from a hole in the ground about wildlife. I honestly believe that they would turn it over to our departments and our biologists and the people that are out there every day and the people that hear the people every day, the people that see the game every day, the people that study the game every day, and let them say what we need to do for input, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. I believe that all the – well, I know I'm going to get in trouble on this one, and we've got a good panel of of commissioners right now. And then if they would let the hunting – be required to own a hunting license and vote for the commissioners from your district. Right. I think you solve a lot of problems, but that's a redneck talking. Yeah, yeah. And I've probably just gotten a whole bunch of trouble for saying that. Sykes, I still love you. I believe he's doing a. I believe he is doing a wonderful job, and I think you got a fine. And I do mean fine man in place but he can't do everything right his hands are tied right i know the man i know him very well i've spent many a day in the woods with that man he's a good person you got a great guy out there if you don't like that y'all can kiss my foot on that part yeah i've never met him never even talked to him but i have not had anybody on this show or even spoken to anybody outside of this show that has met him that does not like him everybody's got good things to say about him yeah be good people. Just remember, he can't do everything. Yeah. No, I mean, Guys, gals, y'all hunters out there, don't blame him for everything because it ain't him. I can promise you that. Yeah. Well, good deal, sir. I tell you what, I, I always enjoy our conversations, but I enjoyed I the story of the cow manure turkey. <laughs> and you I, can, I got to say it, I wouldn't be pressing. You can even kill a bird with cows. That's I'm right. sorry, but I had to play it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was interesting for me because as many times as I've heard you talk and as many times as I've talked to you, I have not heard that story. Oh, so, there's more, buddy. Oh, I, I know. One thing I know about you is you are not short of a story, and that is one of the traits that I really like about you. <laughs> well, I, I, I've been, I've, I've been, been blessed by God Almighty that he lived an uneducated redneck with barely a high school education and get to live a dream. And I have spent many hours out in the woods, and you've heard me say this before, and at age 65, every time I step out there, I am trying to learn something. And if everybody, every time they stepped in the woods, regardless of their age, would take a little something, a little lesson, because there's going to be a lesson back with them, they'll only get a little better and a little better. And the day, I promise you, the day that your head swells up and you go, I could get them all. I know everything now is the day you're going to be made a fool out of. I promise you that. Because you ain't ever going to learn it all. That is the beauty of turkey hunting. You can never learn it all. 
when I die, I'll know everything that I that I'm going to ever know. Yep. I tell you what, there is. Have we got a, another minute or two? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, I got a topic I want to touch on. Okay. okay. It's called TSS. I've gotten a lot of people calling me, a lot of people emailing me, a lot of people on the Facebook asking me about TSS. TSS ought to be outlawed for everybody except Preston Pittman. <clears throat> Uh, that is some of the baddest stuff I have ever seen in my life. But there is a huge but here. But you still need to spend some money. You still need to pattern your gun and quit taking these blankety-blank 80, 90, 100-yard shots that y'all keep telling me about. Here's the beauty of the TSS. You can shoot such a smaller shot. Eight, I'm shooting nines. Mm-hmm. My feed the children. My old gun that has been that's my name. Feed the children. That's, that's what I call it because when she speaks, the youngins are going to get fed because something's going to die. Got retired this year. Uh-oh. I'm shooting a twenty and a four ten. You, you hear that? A four ten. Yeah. The beauty of that is, is there are so many shot in there and the kinetic energy that is behind it, that if you're hitting him with four or five pellets, you're going to be hitting him with 10 or 15 pellets at whatever distance. I'm not trying to say you're going to be able to kill him way out yonder. But what I am saying is your pattern is so much more denser, and there's so much shot that is in there, that it is a much cleaner ethical kill. And there's a lot of leeway for you if you are off just a little bit or a touch high or a touch left or a touch right. Or if you're dead on, you're going to get them twice as good as right. you ever would. Yeah. So, yeah. and there's a there's a couple of manufacturers out there now. I won't say the name because I'm not an advertisement, but there is a local state company that I like. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Uh, it all puts out a good shell. I'm shooting an Apex. I can see what I'm shooting. Yeah. I speak of them often, so I have no issue with that. And, yeah, you know, I have gone from shooting three-and-a-half-inch shells out of my 12-gauge to shooting three-inch TSS, and I have gone to also putting my 12-gauge that I have named Black Death there you go. in the gun safe for at least half, if not a little bit more than half of the turkey season and taking out a 20-gauge shooting TSS. And one thing that I have noticed that I've never been able to really notice before when I've shot is I can see that turkey fall when I shoot with that 20-gauge because the recoil does not knock me into the next zip code. So I can see that turkey's head go back and the turkey's on the ground with that 20 gauge. Yep. And, yep. you know, to me, Try 410 now. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to, it, it won't be long, but yeah, it, it makes a big difference. And, and I don't disagree with you at all about the distance thing with TSS because I, I had in New Hampshire, I had my 12 gauge shoot three inch TSS and I know what it'll do at, 50 and 60 yards. I had a turkey at about 70, maybe 75 yards. And I'm telling you, I could have killed him all day long because these woods had no 
zero underbrush in them. I could have killed that turkey, but I did not even consider shooting him. I did not take the safety off of that gun because even though, again, I know it'll do it at 50 and 60 yards, I, I didn't have a reason to shoot at him at, at 70, 75 yards. That was as close as he was coming that day. But I went back in there the next morning and killed him at 30 yards. There you go. So, there you go. You know, we don't have to shoot him at 70 yards just because the shell will do it. So Right. I agree with you. And, yeah, it ain't cheap patterning those shells. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Not no, at all. no, but it's, I'll pay the money. I mean, to, to ensure that I've got a good, clean, ethical kill because of the density of the pattern, I will pay the money gladly and smile. Because I know my gun, I know my weapon, pull the trigger, I know he's going to die. And he ain't going to suffer and he ain't going to fly out. Yeah. The shotgun shell is the cheapest thing we do. It's the cheapest it. thing we spend money on, even if it costs 10 or $11. It's Yep. So much cheaper than a tank of gas to get to where we're going hunting. It, it's yep. and and you might be mad at me for saying it. It's cheaper than most of the diaphragm calls that we're going to buy. And about right. And you're about so, right. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's not a two dollar shotgun shell, but it's better than a two dollar shotgun shell. So it's yeah. worth every penny. Yeah, I agree. Amen. Uh, I agree with you. I'm I'm stopping my. I'm getting off my little my little high horse here about TSS, but I'm going to tell you, thank you. I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate you taking time to come on the show and share your turkey season with us and share the story about the cow manure turkey with us. And I value your thoughts and opinions on a lot of things, not just turkey-related things, but a lot of things. So I thank you for your friendship. All right, and, and right back at you, and thank you for what you're doing for the people out there. Glad to do it. All right, buddy. Well, let's do it again, and I promise I won't make it so long before I call you and get you back on here. <laughs> All right, man. I'll be thinking about you. While... <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be thinking about you while I'm fishing, okay, because it's fishing time now. All right, buddy. Get out there and catch them. All right. R- real quick, if this airs before, not this weekend, but next weekend, the World Turkey Calling Championship is back in Mobile, Alabama. Awesome. They can go to Facebook. And go to uh, World Turkey Con contact. Give them all the information they need. Hope to see them there. Okay. Fantastic. I am glad you said that. So yeah, it, this will actually air this Thursday. So it is next Perfect. weekend. You said. Yeah, not this coming weekend, but the next weekend. Okay. All Friday right. and Saturday. World Turkey Calling Championship dot com. I think it's on. Remember, go to Facebook book. Okay. And do a search on World Turkey Calling Championship, and I think. It has something about calling. You can find it. Okay. Anybody, hey, these young farts, they can find it. Yeah. Okay? Yeah, good deal. Thank All you, buddy. Right. Have a great right, afternoon. Yeah. All right. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Kind of makes you stop and think, doesn't it? So I'm going to ask you the question, if you haven't already asked yourself, how far would you go to kill a turkey? Would you purposefully rub cow poo all over yourself to take the chance that doing so may be, may be what it takes to kill a turkey. I mean, it was never a guarantee for Preston that he would kill that turkey after rubbing poo all over himself. So he did that just on a hunch. 
that it would help him to kill that Tom. And it paid off. I know I'm not the only one who's done this, but I can tell you I've crawled through it while crawling to get into position on a turkey, but I've never willingly rubbed it all over myself. So would you, could you, have you ever rubbed cow poo on you on purpose? Makes you stop and think for a minute, doesn't it? All right, I got an email this week after last week's episode posted that I need to address with you guys. After getting the email, I realized I forgot to do something during last week's show. I forgot to narrate the hunt that I played for you. You remember the longest quick hunt? I'm not making excuses, but I came back so exhausted from turkey season and that trip that I was doing good just to get the show posted. Falling asleep at the computer while trying to finish that episode up. So I'm going to read the email for you guys. The email is from Liza Granoff, and she says, Andy, I've really enjoyed your podcast. Had some questions about your last hunt that I think you left unanswered. And I have to agree with you, Liza. I did leave them unanswered, although not on purpose. She goes on and she says, Number one, why didn't you call to the turkey that gobbled over 100 times on the roost? Number two, how did you know that this strategy would work? Number three, I assume you used decoys. How many did you have out? How close did the turkey come in before the shot was taken? Did the turkey go right to the decoys? Then she says, thanks. I was just curious as I'm continuing to learn all I can about turkey hunting. So Liza, here's the deal. And I've got to admit, I'm guilty of doing this myself more often than I care to admit. But we turkey hunters often overthink ourselves out of filling a turkey tag. We think of the ideal turkey hunt. Whatever version of a hunt that may be for us, we think of the ideal turkey hunt and we sometimes try to force a hunt to happen that way. But to be successful turkey hunting, and I mean consistently successful, we have to be adaptable to the situation as it unfolds. So here's what I mean. On this hunt, our guide knew where this turkey was roosted. He had watched the tom three days in a row do the exact same thing day after day. That tom would fly down from his roost in that rectangular field about 50 yards from the hedgerow that we were sitting in with his three or four hens, and he would strut a little bit, and he would follow his hens as they fed away from the hedgerow that we were on and into a larger field to the west of this field that they fly down in. If on the morning that we hunted that turkey, he was going to do exactly what he had done the previous three mornings, then he would fly down in gun range and he would never know we were there. Because he would fly down in gun range, there was no reason for us to call. There's really no reason for us to do anything other than have a gun in position to shoot that turkey. When he did hit the ground, Calling to that turkey while he was on the roost just would have drawn attention to the area that we were sitting in, and with no decoy set up in the field, the tom would have known there was no hen in that hedgerow, since he could see it perfectly from his roost tree. Fortunately for us, he followed the exact same routine he followed the previous days, and Chip was able to take the bird. Our original plan did include using decoys in that field that that the turkey was going to fly into and that he was roosted on the edge of, but because the tom woke up so early and was gobbling already, we knew 
that we would spook him if we tried to stake up decoys in a wide open field. So we abandoned the decoy idea and simply sat down as closely and quietly as we could. Truth be told, we had no idea our plan would work. Just because that turkey had done the same thing three mornings in a row doesn't mean he's going to do the same thing on morning number four. If the plan did not work the way that we had hoped that it would, we were prepared to make adjustments. And those adjustments would have included calling or backing out of the hedgerow away from the direction the turkeys were walking and circling around and trying to get in position ahead of the tom and the hens or even backing out, leaving them and coming back to try them again the next morning. When that tom flew down and hit the ground, he was about 40, 45 yards from us. And that is about where the outfitter thought that that tom would fly down. When he hit the ground, he strutted a couple of times and he turned while he was in strut with his rear end facing us. And that's when Chip was able to move and get his gun into position to get a shot at the turkey. And when the turkey came out of strut with his back to us, Chip squeezed the trigger and took the turkey down. You know, I look at that whole scenario like this. Since it's baseball season, I'll use a baseball analogy that hopefully everyone will get where I'm coming from with this. Let's say you're a Major League Baseball player and you're up against the best pitcher in the league. That pitcher has struck you out time after time after time and really has gotten the better of you. And you get up to bat against this pitcher the very next time. And the first pitch is this wicked screwball that not only you, but no one else in the league has been able to hit. You take a swing at it and you miss. The next pitch is this screaming fastball, almost a 100 mile an hour fastball that no one in the league has been able to hit. You swing at and you miss. The next pitch is this slow, underhanded lob right across the plate in perfect position, perfect height, perfect distance from your body, and a speed so slow you're watching it come to you and you're reading the words on the baseball. Do you let that last pitch go by or do you swing and knock it out of the park? I think everyone listening to this show would take a swing and knock that ball out of the park. That hunt was that lobbed pitch perfectly down the middle of the plate at the right height at a speed so slow that we could read every single word on the ball as it floated towards the plate. Chip took the swing and knocked it out of the park. Those types of hunts are rare and I really believe we have to take advantage of them while we can. We get beaten in the woods so many times by turkeys and really that's what keeps us going if you think about it. If we killed one every single time we went, there would not be as much attraction to the sport as there is. But because we get beat so many times, it drives us to get better and better and better at the sport. And it drives us to go out tomorrow and the next day and try it again and again. And when we get those opportunities or what really, quite honestly, was a very quick hunt we need to take advantage of them. So there you go. Liza, I hope that helps to answer the questions that you had and give you a little bit better understanding of what happened during that hunt, why things went down the way they did, and would I go back and change anything about that hunt if I could? 
No, not at all. I wouldn't even change the fact that Chip was the first shooter on that trip. I wouldn't change a thing. It was a great hunt. For me, that's the most that I've heard a turkey gobble on the roost. Really, it's the most I've heard a turkey gobble, period, the entire hunting season. And it was a perfect hunt. So I apologize to all of you guys for not narrating that hunt to give you more detail and explanation of it. I'll do a better job on the next one, I promise. So that's all that I've got for you guys this week. And I've got a little bit of a different favor of the week this week. And if you've never done a favor of the week for me, this is one I really want you to do. Take someone fishing or camping this week. So not to be Debbie Downer, but I lost a fishing buddy this week. And I didn't make the time over the past four or five years to take him fishing because of work and other commitments. So my favor is for you guys to Take an afternoon or a morning off of work or away from your chores at the house or away from whatever obligation it is that you might have on the weekend and take your spouse or your kids or your dad or your mom or your fishing buddy or whoever it is that enjoys those trips with you. Take them out. Enjoy one of those trips with that person. Don't have any regrets. You can make up work. You can make up those chores around the house, but you may never get the chance to take that person out fishing again or camping again or whatever it is that that person likes to do in the outdoors. So get out, enjoy the outdoors with your friends and your family, make some memories, and just have a great time and be safe out there. Also, don't forget that if you are going to be within a few hours drive of Mobile the weekend of June the 14th and June 15th, then go check out the 2019 World Turkey Calling Championship. So you can go to Facebook and just type in 2019 World Turkey Calling Championship and get more details on it. I think you'll enjoy the competition. So that's it. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.